You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So I'm going to read Matthew uh, 2, and if you open your Bibles, you can read with me. If not, then go ahead and read up on the screen here. And now, and, and I, I really hope that, again, that this, the familiarity of this passage doesn't, um, doesn't get lost. So um, let's, let's tune our hearts and our attention to the word here, and then I'll pray. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time this star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening gifts, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way let's pray thank you father for this morning and for your word and for the opportunity to gather here with your church here and i pray lord that as we take a look at the people who who came who came to you jesus that you would take our hearts and take us by your word and that you would drive us and that you would inform us and move us to genuine, authentic, spirit-filled worship, God, in spirit and in truth. And that we wouldn't just simply hear the word, God, but, but that we would be doers of the word as well. And not just simply know, but come and be about the business of worship continuously. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me um, words to speak, God. And Father, we love you and we thank you again and ask all of this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So what I wanna focus on in our passage this morning is the wise men, the magi. And so we'll be looking at their account and their visit to Jesus and his family. But before we get into the text, I just want to give you a, a, a kind of overview of where we're going to be going today and, and, and what I want to do. Because we see two different types of people in the Matthew account. We see two different types of people, but they're not only two different types of people, they're also two different types of worshipers. 
we're presented with, with these two different types. And so the idea that I want to present to you today is that worship surrounds this entire narrative. It, it, it surrounds the entire narrative and worship is the goal. So how I want to look at our passage today is who are the figures, why are they here, and what do we learn from them? So first, who are the figures in the story? And as we're reading this story, they're right here in front of us. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So the two figures here are, are Herod the king and the magi. There's, now, uh, let's take a look at the wise men first. So the wise men first. Here, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of myth and a lot of tradition. And actually, there's actually a lot of craziness behind these wise men or the, the, the magi. Traditionally, what's been held is that they were three kings. And um, it's, I'm sure it's like the Christmas song that you, we've, we've heard. That we three kings of Orient are uh, bearing gifts uh, we traverse afar. So traditionally, they are three kings that came and worshiped Jesus, but in the text, we don't see a number, and we actually don't see that they are kings. The number of kings is likely based on what we see later in the passage when the, as they brought their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the uh, logic goes that with each gift, there was actually one of them. But what's in the scriptural account well, what's here is that they were our wise men from the east. Now, the word for wise men in Greek is magi, another term uh, that many of us might be familiar with. But magi in Jesus' day was a name of a class of people from the east. They were philosophers, uh, astronomers. They were studiers of religion. And, uh, and actually, the, the court's enchanters, even, to royalty. But this isn't the first time that we've actually uh, seen them in the scriptures. Because if you go back to the book of Daniel, you might recall when, when uh, Israel was taken into captivity, into Babylon, uh, Daniel had been called on to interpret the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so these wise men, these interpreters, uh, these, uh, uh, the, you know, these astrologers were, were, uh, were a class of people already in Babylon, and they're mentioned several times in the book of Daniel. And now they're here several hundred years later, and they're going to come and worship Jesus. Now, consider what we definitely know about them. These magi are from the east, and they considered it worth their time and worth their effort and worth uh, the, the, the travel. It was it, it, their, their efforts and riches and, and it was even worth their worship that they would come to a house in Bethlehem and worship. These pagans searched for the Messiah like no one else did. They traveled that far journey from the east and they were on a search from God who had given them a sign to come and find them. Consider Matthew Henry's commentary on, on what, what happens here. Um, they, being the Magi, might have said, if such a prince be born, we shall hear of him shortly in our own country, and it will be time enough then to pay our homage to him. But so impatient were they to be better acquainted with him that they took a long journey on purpose to inquire after him. Note, those who truly desire to know Christ 
and find him will not regard pains or perils in seeking after him. Now, I think these wise men, these magi, who knew so much less than I do about the Messiah, really sought after him harder than I ever, ever have. So we don't know how many of them there were, whether there were three or 30 or 300 of them with their entourage, but we do know that they came to worship Jesus. That's what we know. That's what we know. So what about where they met Jesus? What about, um, because, you know, when we see a nativity set, usually every time in that nativity scene, there's always, there's, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's uh, the wise men, there's the shepherds that are actually there. Um, you know, they're all there in this nativity scene where Jesus was born in the stable. Um, my wife, Eric, and I, we just got back, well, it was last week, we were in Cancun, and, um, but we were in Cancun for a wedding. I know, suffering for Jesus. I mean, somebody has to go officiate these weddings. So if anyone wants to go get married, destination weddings are a wonderful idea, and I am available. <clears throat> so every single nativity scene that we actually came across in Cancun um, not only had, well, actually, they didn't have all of the, the players there. So, but they did have Mary, they had Joseph, um, they had the shepherds, they had the wise men, but baby Jesus was missing out of every single one. It didn't make sense. And not only that, really, again, the wise men shouldn't have been there. So I was just like, theologically incorrect, this is wrong, <laughs> this country's got it all backwards. But, so it doesn't actually seem that they visited Jesus in the stable where he was born. Because as we get into the passage as well, uh, we find that when Herod asked them, how long ago did you see this star? And and then they go, the the wise men go and they visit Jesus. Um, uh, It doesn't say that they go to the stable, but it says that they visited Jesus, the child, in a house. In verse 11. And going into the house, not the stable, into the house, they saw the child marry with his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men didn't come when Jesus was first born, but rather sometime later when he was a child in a house. So that's what we do know about the wise men. So now, um, the other character in the story is Herod. Now, um, Herod is the king, but he's not the king of Davidic descent, And he's not even uh, from the tribe of Judah. In fact, Herod's not even a Jew. He's the kind, uh, well, this guy, he kind of faked uh, his birth certificate, if you will. Um, He just kind of claimed that he was um, Jewish, but he really wasn't uh, at all. And um, he was actually placed there in power by the Romans. And, And so the Romans let him be a governor Uh, But, I mean, but let him keep the title of king. But really, the Romans had charge of everything that was was going on there. Um, Now, Herod, he was a really, really smart guy. But he was also very vicious. Um, He was smart in the sense that he knew how to build up a society. He knew how to construct things. And, um, And so, 
what he did, he was very well known for building up uh, like palaces and fortresses, and he built seaports and and also a waterworks system there. All of this was under his control during the time that Herod was was uh, reigning as king. And so there was a lot of construction. There were a lot of things going on, a lot of prosperity, and, um, and things were going really well. But it's not that Herod was really um, such a great leader that all this was going on. He was also very power hungry, and Herod was extremely paranoid. He was extremely paranoid. So to get an idea for what type of guy Herod was, Herod had three of his sons put to death. He married 10 wives, and then he, he killed his favorite one. He had one of his mother-in-laws killed, and he had the high priest of Israel drowned. Now, Herod was such a tyrant, and he knew that when he died, there would be a celebration. There would be like a party in the streets. And so when, when he died, he, uh, he ordered his sister. He said, sister, when I die, he said, I want there to be mourning in Israel. He said, I want them to be wailing in the streets. So I want you to gather up all these like elders and priests and all these um, noble men of Israel and take them into this Colosseum area. And he says, when I die, I want you to kill every single one of them. Because when you do that, then Israel will mourn and cry and I want there to be mourning at my death. That's the type of guy that Herod was. So you've got these two types of people here. You've got the wise men coming from the east, and then you've got Herod. And, and we don't know really all that much about these wise men from the east, but Josephus, the historian, actually wrote two whole books about Herod. And um, Herod is not the kind of guy that we want to be like. And the wise men, again, you know, we don't know a whole lot about them, but Matthew includes them at the beginning of this scriptural account, uh, talking about the, the birth of Jesus. So why are they here? Why are they here? Well, notice what they say in verse 2. Verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Notice here the specifics. There's, there's a lot of specificity here. The, the specifics are that a king has been born. And the reason that they know this is because a star has risen. So there's been a sign that goes up. And, so, and they began the journey in the first place because they saw this sign that had gone up. Now these guys, they um, didn't begin this journey specifically to, um, to, uh, to, to come and serve him, not to bring gifts to this one who would be born in the name of their king, they knew that someone was greater than, than, than their own royalty. So my question is this, how is it that these guys, that these wise men from a different land, far, far away, knew that a star, that there would be a sign that they would go up and that they should come, once they see that sign, that, that, they, that they should pack up their stuff and go and move to this place to where this coming one was. Why? And, and I think that the reason why is because that these men, these wise men, had exposure to the scriptures. They had exposure to the word of the, that was given to the Israels, Israelites. So, so they were exposed to that. 
Daniel 9.24 through 9.27 speaks of an anointed one who would come. Uh, Numbers 24.17, and I think these are up on, actually, well, they're not. Okay, so, um, well, anyhow, Numbers 24.17 says that a star would announce the coming one's birth. This is a prophet talking about Christ here. Isaiah 63 verses 3 through 6 says that people will come from all over bearing gifts. Now, these are just a few of the passages that we can point out that a king, a Messiah, was coming. But what about Herod? I mean, Herod was a guy who wasn't even Jewish. And when it came time, they asked Herod, we're here to worship the king. And we already know about Herod that, that he's extremely paranoid. He's probably thinking to himself, oh my goodness, I, I've heard these people talk about this deliverer that's going to come and that he's going to save his people and that he's a king. And, and now these wise guys show up from, from the east and they've got their entourage with them. And, and he's like probably thinking, he's like, oh my goodness. He's like, We've got to do something about this. Where is this child going to be born? What do we do? He's wondering where the child's going to be born, but Herod didn't know. He didn't know because he didn't know the scriptures. He did not know the scriptures. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. Herod didn't know. And so Herod goes and he asks, he's like, hey guys, you guys know the Bible. Where is this child to be born? And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. So you see, now Herod wants to know about Jesus, but he has to go to the word to find out about Jesus. These other guys the Magi, they've been in the word or they've been exposed to the scriptures and it, and it drives them and now they're coming to worship Jesus. Herod's like, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I, I don't know where, the, I, I don't even know where to begin. So let me go to the religious people. Let me go to the chief priests. Let me go to the elders and let me ask them because certainly they will know because they know the word. So they go to the word to find out where he is. And you see, when Herod was confronted with the fact that the Messiah was here, again, he didn't go to the army. He didn't go to the generals. I mean, usually, hey, a king is coming. It's like, okay, wait, go. Let's grab the army. Let's, let's rally them up. There's going to be a battle because somebody's coming for the throne. He goes to the elders and the chief priests. And when it said, when it was told to him that, that, that yes, this coming one was going to come, he didn't say, like, Wow, my heart's overjoyed. My God has come to visit me. Rather, what he says is, how can I kill him? How can I stand against him? So what you've got is you've got two different types of people showing who they are. Some people who have read the word and coming to worship him, but Herod Herod doesn't know. And so Herod just goes ahead along with these guys. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. He's like, show me where he is. Tell me where he is because I too want to worship him. But we know that Herod didn't want to worship him. He wanted, 
He wanted to kill him. He was like, as soon as I find this child, I'm going to kill him because he's a threat to my kingdom. So what do we learn from all of this? What is, it, what is it that we learn? What's it really all about? And why is it that we would look at this and see the worship aspect pulled out from this passage and from this narrative? And, and I think it boils down to this. That authentic worship is driven and informed by the word of God. Real, genuine, authentic worship is driven and informed by the word of God. Because you see, it's in the word of God that we understand deeper the majesty of God. It's in the word that we hear the gospel. It's in the word that we learn how to to worship him rightly. We learn about the faithfulness of God. We see the warnings against sin. It's in the word of God that we see prophecies fulfilled. It's in the word of God where he gives us his promises. It's in the word of God where we see Jesus. Where Jesus comes down to us. He reveals himself. He walks among us and he speaks to us so that we can understand him and know him. For the word of God is so central in our lives that it gets so into us, it it gets into us and it gets our hearts and our works so deeply, it, it just gets in there that it actually drives us to worship. It moves us. It moves us to worship. And we learn about this together as we as we gather here as his body, we learn about this. And it's not just something that we, you know, we read um, about and then nothing happens. Like, um, like an article that you read or a blog post. I mean, you read those things and, and it doesn't change you. It doesn't move you. It's just information. But the word of God is supernatural. It's supernatural. It comes in the way that and it, it causes a response in our lives. It does something to us. It moves us. So, for example, the way that we structure the, the, um, our gathering and our time here um, at Reality um, is it's intentional because we believe that the word of God drives us and informs us to worship. So that's why when we first came in here, we all stood up and we, we read the word of God. We read a call to worship. We read that, <clears throat> that reading, excuse me, so, so that then our singing and that our giving and that our praying has been affected by the word. You see, these magi that came, they had the word. They had the word and it moved them. It moved them great distance. I was reading a, a blog post that um, on Uh, from John Piper, Desiring God. And he brought up a fascinating point. So I'm just going to read it here. It says, Jesus is troubling to people who do not want to worship him, and he brings out opposition for those who do. So today, these two kinds of opposition will come against Christ and his worshipers, indifference and hostility. Are you in one of those groups? Indifference or hostility? Now, um, when most of us, it's not many of us um, come to God in 
hostility and just like rah, um, just literally like that rah. But um, but um, we do tend to come um, against God uh, in 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 other ways, and I, I think really that what it boils down to is that is that there is a danger. There's a danger of being indifferent about worship. And, it, and it's a real danger. After the Magi show up, why didn't the chief priests and the elders go ahead and, and follow them? And again, this is out of this blog post, but John Piper's amazing. He's like, he, he brings out, why, does, why didn't the chief priests and elders follow these, these wise men, these pagans from a, from a far other country? Because they were indifferent to it. They're indifferent. And, and that's the danger that we face. Because the, the indifference, I mean, we know that we should be word-driven, we should be word-saturated, we should be praying, we should be doing all of these things. But the danger is that we wouldn't do it, but rather be indifferent. And worship is a response to God. So how are you going to respond today? How are you going to respond to Christ? How are you going to respond to the word and respond every single day? And now I'm not just um, saying we should, that, that, okay, the second set of worship is going to be amazing and everybody's going to be singing like their face off. It's, let's, not, let's not reduce um, the, the uh, worship just to singing. Because when we give, we're worshiping. When we give, we're worshiping. What, what that's saying is that, God, I, I trust you. I, I'm, not, I'm not bound by these things, but I trust you. And so that's, that's an act of worship. And when we serve, or when we pray together, or when we encourage one another, all of that, it's a response of worship. And that should compose the whole of our life, everything that we do. So how is the word driving your thinking how is it that you're celebrating Christmas this year, this season? How, how, are, how is it affecting your traditions that you do? How is, it, how is it pushing and driving your preparation? Is it, is it driving you as, from many of you guys that are newly married, is it driving you as a young married couple? Or, or, or is, are you driving your family, for those of you that, that have families? Let the word of God push you and drive you into the worship of Jesus because the word drives us to Jesus. Therefore, the word pushes us to authentic, genuine worship. So uh, how can we worship in this? How can I worship in this here today? How can I reflect the fact that Jesus is more wonderful and amazing more than any other thing in my life? How can I do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that um, here is by celebrating the Lord's Supper together, communion at the table of grace. And so after here, in a few moments after we pray, I'm gonna invite, I wanna invite you guys um, up to remember what Christ has done for you and, and celebrate that. 
Because Christmas, again, isn't just the celebration of Jesus' birthday. It's not just um, uh, celebrating the coming of a king. But it's when Christ first shows up in your life. And that's really what Christmas is. And so maybe, maybe that's why they say, you know, it's like every day is a good enough day to celebrate Christmas. Or it's never too early. Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, even though that my alarm, you know, clock gets me up, I have to thank God for waking me up. And, and then he comes in and I, I commit my day to God. And I ask the Holy Spirit for power to help me. And, and then I'm thankful at the end of the day. And so each and every day, Christ comes in. He's, he's in me. And so it's Christmas every day. Wouldn't that be something else? So let's approach Jesus today with a sense of urgency, with a sense of joy, with a sense of worship, because God has created us to find him and worship him. And, and these magi, these men, they were searching diligently. They were searching for him, for the one who would be born king of the Jews. They had that attitude of urgency. They had an attitude of joy. They had an attitude of worship. So let this Christmas, just two days away, be the time when we, when we consider the Messiah and ponder what it is to worship him in spirit and truth. So let's, let's respond to what we've heard. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, you are wonderful and amazing and so good to us, God. And I thank you for your word and, and for the people in your word that, that you've placed who you knew in and, and by your spirit that they understood you. God, I pray that and I thank you that, that it actually moved them. It moved them forward. It moved them closer to you, God. So create hearts in us to know you, to understand you. And, and Lord, I pray that we would respond to it and make us genuine worshipers, informed and driven by your word. And as we look to you at Christmas, Jesus, I pray that it wouldn't be the things that we are drawn to, but that we would value you, Jesus Christ, as our treasure. So we want to worship the king together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.